Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome back to another high-flying, action-packed episode of 80s Wrestling Radio. I'm your host, Jumping Jay Morozik, and normally, I'm sitting alongside my main man, Tommy Fiera. But tonight, there is no Tommy, and I'll be operating the Wrestling Wayback Machine by myself as we spend another hour discussing what many people contend to be the golden era in professional wrestling the 1980s. Tommy is what I call a hustler, a grinder, someone who's not afraid of getting his hands dirty with a little bit of hard work. Tommy's the kind of guy that dreams big dreams and then works hard to chase them down. And when he catches those dreams, he slaps them in a sharpshooter and makes them submit. Dwayne The Rock Johnson always talks about the importance of being the hardest worker in the room. And Tommy is definitely that. The only reason Tommy is not here tonight is because that East Coast boy is out on the West Coast, TCBN. You know what that means, taking care of business. Tommy had a couple of meetings out in California this week. And so while he's in the Golden State handling business, we're here doing the same. Thank you all for tuning in to tonight's episode of 80s Wrestling Radio. Yes, we're on late at night. Yes, we're following three hours of Monday Night Raw. But we're here, we're on the air, and we are live. Tommy and I chose this format of a live late night podcast for one very simple reason. We love 80s wrestling, and we love wrestling fans. Wrestling fans are a unique family, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, and we wanted a live venue where we could talk about what we're passionate about with people who share that passion. The listener hotline number is 323-927-2953. At any point during tonight's episode, you want to reach through the radio airwaves and join the conversation, please do so. Again, the call-in number is 323-927-2953. Last week, we had an amazing episode where we got to spend an hour visiting with former WWE diva, Cherry. Her knowledge of the sport of professional wrestling and her passion and love for the business, extremely impressive. We spent the majority of the time talking about her love for the macho man, Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. 
and the lovely Miss Elizabeth. If you happen to have missed that episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and give it a listen, either at Blog Talk Radio, download it on iTunes, stream it on Stitcher, or listen to it on Spotify. Which brings us to tonight's episode. And as game show host Steve Harvey would say, we got a good one for you today. When we think of the world of professional wrestling, we envision the larger-than-life characters who perform inside the ring. We have fond memories of our favorite superstars performing feats of strength, high-risk maneuvers, and overcoming all odds. We play with their action figures. We watch them on TV. We read about them in magazines, and we hang their posters on our walls. But the truth is, if it wasn't for the team of people who work behind the scenes, on the other side of the camera lens, we may never have been introduced to some of our favorite wrestling superstars. Tonight, we have the privilege of being joined by a man who wrestlers often credit for helping them become household names. We are joined by a man who's an author, an editor, a world-class photographer, a man who has sat ringside and photographed most of your wrestling memories. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio, Mr. George Napolitano. George, thank you so much for joining us this evening on 80s Wrestling Radio. We are very grateful you're staying up late to talk wrestling with us. Oh, Jay, it's my pleasure. Thank you. That was some introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) We are very appreciative of your time, sir. And we know Mm -hmm. that there is a chance that some of our listeners may not recognize your name, but they certainly would recognize your work as you have taken Uh some of the most iconic photos in the past few decades of professional wrestling. I would love to know how you got your start in the world of professional wrestling, how you came to have such an impactful role in the sport. And I'd love to hear some of your favorite tales from the road. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to start at the very beginning. When did you first get introduced to the world of professional wrestling? Well, it, it all started I was a, when I was a really young, young, young boy. I used to watch wrestling uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night in New York on Channel 5. And uh, we used to watch Antonino Rocca, the Bastine brothers, the Graham brothers. And it, it, was, it was thrilling. It was, it was on three nights a week, three consecutive nights from 9 to 11. And I used to fall asleep at, towards the end. But that's when I first, first got involved and uh, watched Bruno San Martino when he first started before his first title reign in 1963. I used to to watch it on TV, and and, uh, that's what I love. And then I just got away from it. You know, you get older, it just escapes you. And then in 1970, I saw an ad in the Daily News, New York Daily News, saying wrestling tonight. And I... I said to my girlfriend at the time, and now I've been married uh, over 40 years, I said, would you like to go to the garden tonight to see wrestling? I used to go watch that. She says, I've never seen that. She said, okay. And we went to the garden. I took my camera, which I was then 
taking pictures. I just like taking photos. And uh, I enjoyed myself. And then they announced that there's going to be wrestling uh, next Saturday at Sunnyside Gardens. That was a small venue in Queens. And I asked, do you want to go on Saturday? She says, well, if we're not doing anything, let's go. Went on a Saturday afternoon. I took my camera and I got close. I ran up and down the aisle taking photos. And I met somebody that day who said, you must take good pictures. you got a great camera. But I don't know nothing about what I was doing. I really didn't. And he <laughs> said, why don't, you, why don't you just show me what, you, what you've got uh, next time you come here. So the, I went to the garden show. I heard when the next Sunnyside Garden show was, and I showed up with a bunch of photos. And he says to me, oh, these are great. Would you like to work for me? Uh, I said, morning, we work for you. He says, yeah, I, I'm uh, one of the associate editors of Ring Magazine. And I said, well, okay. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, what I was involved with. But I just said, yeah, it sounded good. And uh, that was 1970, the end of 70, 71, 1971. So now we're in 2019. This will be 50 years. Oh, my goodness. Okay. That is wonderful. Congratulations, <laughs> sir. So yes. my, my first, the first question yes. that comes to mind is, yes. were you doing something else to earn a living back then when he asked you to take those first couple of photos? I, I, was, uh, I started teaching school. I was an elementary school teacher. And uh, you had time as a school teacher. You had, uh, your day ends at 3 o'clock, and uh, I had time. And I just, I, I just was a photographer. I liked taking pictures. And that's how it really started. But it, it had been because of my, my love of wrestling from, from a kid. That's how it really started. And then I went in 1971. I met one of the – actually, the first day I was there, I met a fellow named the Grand Wizard, the Grand Wizard mm. of Wrestling, Ernie Roth. I met him, and he befriended me. He was, he was great. Oh, and um, – the wizard, that's what I still call him, to me, so he is in my mind, introduced me to a lot of people. He brought me around and he introduced me to all of the wrestlers. And uh, I interviewed Jimmy Valiant. That was my first interview and my first story for a magazine. Interviewed Jimmy Valiant. He was Gentleman Jim. He wasn't a boogie-woogie man or or an evil villain at the time. He was a, he was a, he was a good guy, good guy. We used to call him good guys. And he was really nice to me. And then from the, from him, I met a whole bunch of people. But it was the Grand Wizard who went around and introduced me to everybody. And then he told me about TV. I didn't know anything about TV wrestling or what, what it was, where it was. And it was in Philadelphia. And he said, oh, you come to Philadelphia. And I did. And then he introduced me to Mr. Vince McMahon Sr. at the time. Hmm. And that's how I got involved. I mean, really, it was because of... Uh, friendship with the, the wizard and uh then i became friends with blassie fred blassie breast of soul and the old the captain lou albano and we became really good friends i mean really good that is a fantastic fantastic uh introduction into the business it seems like mm -hmm. that would be kind of a unique uh, opportunity to kind of sneak be or peek behind the curtain, if you will. Was that commonplace that they would bring outsiders and embrace them the way I, that they seem to have embraced I, you? I wasn't sort of not an outsider. I, Arnold Scolin, who was uh, in charge of the buildings, uh, he was the booker, but he was in charge, so to say. Uh, 
the, okay, I'll, I'll just backtrack a little bit. The fellow from Ring Magazine brought me to Arnold Scullin and said, he's going to be my photographer. That's how it's happened. Mm, sure. And then, uh, and then Arnold says, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, kid. Have a good time, but stay out of the wrestler's way. That's how, that, was, that, was my, <laughs> that was my advice. Stay out of That's the wrestler's advice. way. Good I mean, advice. that was my advice. I didn't know anything about it or what I was getting sure. involved in. And then uh, at intermission time, I was standing in the back. He says, come here, kid. And he, he brought me down and says, that's when I met the wizard. And that's how it happened. I just, okay. I didn't go on my own. You know, I was, I was invited, per se. I was introduced to him, who then said, you can go downstairs, you know. Uh, and uh, I didn't know nothing from nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the way I continued to uh, write stories and things I, I there was nothing to divulge you were uh, reporting on what you saw as a I want to say as fan as a, as a, as a writer as a sure. reporter whatever sure. and back in those days back in those days you reported on what you seen there was it wasn't the uh, behind the scenes was a whole different story nobody reported on you know, baseball players doing this or that or anybody else. Sure. You, you reported on what you reported on what they did, in in the confines of that uh, sport that they're involved in. You know, Absolutely. you weren't you weren't uh, getting into their nightly uh, um, activities or, or what what they were doing outside. You were talking about what they did when they got into the squared circle. That's what it was. You know. Wonderful. Now, this is a time mm-hmm. before the internet, before information was at everyone's fingertips, a time when wrestling magazines really mm-hmm. was the main avenue for getting information into the hands of the fans. Can you yes. speak to just how important magazines were to the industry at that time and just how different well, of a time it was compared to today? Let's see, but back then, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know I knew what I was doing, but I didn't feel like I was being doing anything special or anything different, you know. But it later dawned on me when enough enough wrestlers told me that if it wasn't for the stories and the photos that I did on them, then nobody would have known them, you know. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I'll take that all the way up to 20, 2017, a year or two ago. I was... I was inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in, in Texas, and I felt I felt strange. And here I am. Uh, I, I, so I felt, why am I getting into this Hall of Fame? I mean, it's a, it's a real Hall of Fame in Texas, Wichita Falls Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I ran into a fellow named Tiger Conway Jr. As soon as I get there, he's, oh, George, George. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad for you. And I, I said, "This is Tiger. I, I feel funny. I don't. Uh, I don't know why. I don't belong in this thing." He said, "Were you kidding?" <laughs> he was the one who said, "If it wasn't for you, nobody would have known who I was anywhere outside of my little territory." He says, mm-hmm. "And that goes for anybody, you know." Like, but I, and I've heard that through the years, but it never really meant that much to me, you know. Really, I, I just was doing sure. what I was doing. I, I didn't think it was anything uh, out of the ordinary. I mean, really, I mean, uh, it, it was uh, just something that I did every month. Well, I started just by, I, I did, 
I'm, I'm, I've just gone from the uh, the seventies all the way to the nineties and what have you. But this is just something that I did. And the seventies was stories, and then in the eighties, I became editor of a lot of magazines, and then I put out books and what have you. You know, it just grew from from start the start that I had with the Grand Wizard. Well, it's it's wonderful that something you did uh, out of a love and passion had such a profound impact on other people. That is just that's that's a wonderful side effect of doing something that that you love to do. Uh, and and now, there, was, there, were, there were many guys through the years who would thank me. I mean, like really, oh, you, they they would love to to see their name in print. And uh, it, see, and you mentioned a magazine earlier, and I just brushed off, brushed it off. If if you were in a magazine, it meant that you to the fans and even to the other wrestlers, it meant that you were a little more important than somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, they they wanted to, they wanted to get their story out there, and they knew that if if it was in a magazine, it would be read by people not in Kansas City, but maybe in New York City, not right. just in St. Louis, but in Dallas, Texas. And they knew that they can then move on, and then it would enable them, enable the wrestlers to see what was happening in other territories, because there was no TV. You didn't know what was going on around the country. I mean, you had no idea. You just knew about your territory you were in, and you waited to make a call or waited for a friend to say, "There's an opening in uh, Tulsa," you know, mm. you know, and to, to get to your next spot. You never know. And I'll just take that. Again, I'm just going all across the board here. 1975-76, Superstar Graham is in my house. I had met him in Houston, Texas, and he put a story on him, and he loved it, and he thanked me, he called me, thanked me, and then he called me and said, I'm I'm coming to New York. I, okay, he says, pick me up at the airport, and I did. So mm-hmm. but before I took him to his hotel, I took him to my house for dinner. And that night, um, it was a Tuesday night, I know why, because it was... Championship wrestling from Florida was on, and you used to get Florida wrestling in New York on this channel 47. I don't know if you know that. No, Tommy, Tom would. Um, and I put, yeah, you want to see some wrestling? Okay. And it was, I'm telling you, a 12 inch black and white TV with rabbit ears. <laughs> and he grabs the chair, he grabs the chair, and he puts it right in front of the TV, and he's watching this. And, and Dusty Rhodes comes on the uh, comes on the screen. Dusty, you know, I haven't seen him in years. And Dusty goes into his his tirade and into his his rap and his thing. He says he looks at me. He says he stole my interview. <laughs> <laughs> he stole my you know like and he, he was like he was watching. He, he stole my but sure. you didn't know what anybody else was doing because it was all these different little places. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, such a different time than it is now that it's it's hard to imagine well, that it was that way, but it, it was that way. Yeah, and that that's how you know that that's what happened, and uh, that's how it was. The only way you were able to learn about your your favorites and your stars, and, you know, your not two favorites, was by looking at the magazine, and then right. and, and and what it used to do too is. If somebody was in a magazine, I'm not talking just about mine, just in a magazine, and when they announced, and, and next month we're going to have uh, Mike Graham, you would say, oh, I read about him. And you already had a preconceived notion that this guy's going to be pretty good because you you read something about him and you knew he was somewhere else. 
and that's what it did. It helped it helped them move around the country. And, that's and really, the, the 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 last people that you could say I quote helped in my mind would be the Dudleys. Dudleys were uh, sure, ECW, from, yep, ECW, ECW yep, act and, and all the stuff that that I did and other people did on them made them known around the country. And and Bubba will be the first to say that 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 George George you made me you made you know he'll be the first mm-hmm. to admit that it, that the magazine helped that he had helped him then get into WWE and other places. It was because sure. of, you know. It helped create the buzz uh, yeah. and allowed them to, to progress their career. Now, you started yeah. by taking photos for the publications, yeah. but you also became a writer as well. How did no, that no. transition? Well, I started taking photos, but the photos I took were for stories I was going to write. Okay. You know, I wasn't just putting pictures in a magazine. I would write the story. And how, would I, how, did, how that really happened, um, just the same fellow who, who introduced me, uh, who, was, who worked for Ring, gave me a story one day and he says, bring this to the office with your photos. And I read the story. I tried to read, I tried to read the story. I reread the story and it made no sense to me. I mean, I said, I knew I wasn't a writer, but I said to myself, I said, this is acceptable. I can be almost as good. <laughs> that was my thing. I could be almost this, this almost as good. And it was bad. <laughs> So when I brought the photos up to the office, and uh, this fellow, his name was Nat Lubay. He was the editor of the, he was the the real editor of Ring Magazine. He says, "Oh, thank you for bringing this. He's one of my best uh, reporters and writers." I said, "Really?" I said, "If you ever need anything, I think I can maybe supply you with some things if you like." <laughs> Just say, yeah, "Yeah, bring me some. Just bring me whatever you want." I said, "Okay." <laughs> And that's how it started. And I worked for Ring Wrestling in the 70s, some 72, 3, 4, 5. And I used to do, man, four, five, six stories in there under all different bylines because it didn't look right in my head, but all sure. under my name, you know. Sure. So I used to use a whole lot of different bylines. And then I would give him pictures for other people's story who would send in a story, but the story was no good without photos. Right. You needed pictures. You needed photos to 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 use a, a story. Yeah. So you know. So I wrote, and most people would say, "Oh, he was that photographer." But I wrote. I mean, even eighties. You talk about the you're, you're in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I used to do wrestling, also wrestling scene, ringside, and what have you. And uh, more than seventy five percent of that magazine I wrote, in addition wow. to taking all the photos. Wow. And it wasn't That's just a, one magazine a month. It was two, three, four, five a month, depending on when you're talking. How do how do you have the time to write all these four or five I magazines really, in a month? I, That's impressive. Oh yeah, one time, and not not even once. Several several times. The most I ever did in one month was nine magazines. Nine. Oh, and I did that several different months, late 80s, 90s, when it was really, really, really hot. And and that's, that's uh, photos how, and that's writing. And you're asking, yes, and you're saying, how did, I have no idea. I think back and I say, I don't know how I can do it or how I ever did it. Because I can't, I, 
I don't think I can write a story anymore. I mean, but <laughs> it was it, it was just uh, something that just to flow out of me. I mean, seriously. So I is don't this, know how? Is this the okay. time before? Is this is this before digital cameras? Are you developing? Oh, yeah, no, the the film as well. Oh, this is be, yeah, this is before digital. I mean, we're talking. Uh, the the 80s was no digital. <laughs> digital was not until uh, I can't exactly I can't even remember, but uh, more of a 90s thing. Sure. So you're yeah, you're not even sure if you have a, a photo to use until you get home and develop it. Yes, correct. You didn't know, but uh, you had a you had you had to be a photographer, know what you were doing. You had to know what you were doing to get the picture correctly. And uh, like, okay, last weekend between the WWE Hall of Fame, NXT, and WrestleMania, I shot 8,000 images. Last weekend, 1,000. Forget it. A roll of film, just the reason why I'm saying this, a roll of film would have 36 pictures, 36 or 32, I don't even remember, 32 photos, I believe, 32 snaps on a roll of film. Sure. With 20 and 32, 32. And 32, I'm talking about 8,000, okay? So you you had to know what you were doing. There was no do-over over here. You could look in the back of the camera, do it again, do it again, do it again, and just go, just go right through. And you're yeah. going to get something. You're going to get something. At some point. Right, right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to a major player in the world of professional wrestling. He's a writer, a magazine editor. He's the wrestling photographer, Mr. George Napolitano. If you have any questions or comments for George, please call in. The number here is 323-927-2953. Uh, George, in preparing for the show tonight, I read that you have attended mm-hmm. every WrestleMania every Royal yes. Rumble, every SummerSlam, and every Survivor Series. Is that true? That's correct. <laughs> that is that is correct. That's, I just Man. did my 35th WrestleMania. Uh, I don't know how many Royal Rumbles there's been or Survivor Series, but I know I've been at every one. I, know, I would, you know, I know I've I would imagine. One, but I don't have the tickets. To, I don't have the ticket stuff to prove it, but I've been there. Well, I, I, I think you have the pictures to prove it, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, uh, yes, but you know, besides going to what you said, every every event you mentioned was a WWE event. But in the eighties, this is eighties eighties wrestling. I was at, I want to say, just about every WCW pay per view in the you know eighties nineties. Every WCW, I was at that first one. In Greensboro with uh, Ric Flair and I want to say Harley Race, I, hmm. I think Harley at Greensboro on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, uh, and and that's when I think back. I, I I used to travel everywhere. How I did it, I have no idea. Besides coming home and then writing the stories, developing the photos, putting them together, and early on, and I keep on jumping back and forth. Because we're talking about so many different eras. Early on, magazines were black and white, so I used to t- I always 
I always used two and sometimes three cameras. One camera, black and white film. Another camera, slides, color slides. And a third camera for prints. I would use it for color print. The black and white was, was what I needed to fill the pages of the magazine. The color slides I needed for the cover and then later for uh, pinups on the inside. And the color print was actually for people who would say, give me a picture. Well, uh, at that time, color slides, or if you try to make a photo from a color slide, didn't look good. So I used sure. to have a, a third camera with color print film just to snap away at times hmm. of uh, different people, you know. And well, oh, the, black and white. I Black and white, I used to develop. So I used to develop my own film. And I used to now, when I, the, on a Monday, Tuesday night, when I knew what I had to do for the magazine, I would get together the, all of the, if I was going to do, a magazine would have basically eight stories plus filler stuff. So I would then print all of the pictures for these eight stories. Uh, ten, uh, on average, was seven to ten photos per story. And I would print them, and then I would have all the all the prints, and then bring them to the office, and then lay it out. The amount of work that you did is certainly impressive, <laughs> George. That's that's unbelievable. You obviously had a front row seat to a lot of big matches, a lot of iconic moments, a lot mm -hmm. of what what wrestling fans think about when we think about wrestling. You most likely were there for in person. Yeah. Is there yeah. anything, a match, an angle, a storyline that stands out to you, or does it all kind of blend together? Uh, well, first of all, there's been so, so, so many Everything really blends together. Certain things I remember better than others. But just to backtrack a little bit, I'm watching all of these matches through a hole in the back of the camera that's one inch by one inch, one and a half inches by one and a half inches maybe, and I'm watching everything through this little hole. I'm not. I don't have the. the I don't have this instant replay. <laughs> I don't have anything. Any other thing to check what what I might have seen? Everything is coming from what I see from this little, looking through this little hole, trying to stay out of the way of the cameraman, the video cameraman, and uh, the other uh, photographers, some of which didn't know what they were doing. I don't mean as far as taking pictures, just knowing that there's other people around. You always got to be mindful of who else is around you, not just yourself, so that you can get the picture and the other people can get the photo too. So everything I saw was through this little hole. So I, I missed a lot because I didn't see it on a grand scale. If that sure. makes any sense. I it makes it sense. Can. It makes sense. Uh, you, know. you have, you have photo uh, photographed many wrestlers from their earliest moments in their career. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone who, when you met and photographed as a rookie, that you just knew they were going to be a big deal in the business? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I, I was, I was in, in Dallas, Texas at the Sportatorium for Kevin Von Erich's first match. Really? Yeah, and, uh, and, and Fritz then said to me, he says, oh, this is Kevin's match. 
please give me all the photos if you don't mind. I said, of course not. And he said, they made me take pictures. And I, and I watched him, and he had he had no shoes on. He was jumping around. Right. I said, oh, this, this kid's going to be really good. It's going to be really mm-hmm. good. This is the first person that came to my mind when you mentioned that. But I, I saw him right away, and I thought he's going to be He's going to be really good, but I've seen so many others uh, start, and then I've seen how they progressed. Yeah. Um, for one, I, I, for some no no reason, no, no, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan was a sure um, enhancement talent, as we call it today. Job boy, you know, sure. started out yeah. as a young kid in the WWWF, and I befriended him. We became friends similar age and, uh, you know, whatever, same height. <laughs> and, and I said, I said oh, he's going to be good, but I don't know he can make it. He's gonna, I don't know if he's big enough. You know, uh, that was what I, that was my main thought. And sure, I was always happy that every time I, I would go somewhere, I would see him and he would always get up. He would move up on the card, you know, the mm-hmm. opening matches to the middle and then, you know, over to the, to the top when he got to Florida and mm-hmm. did his thing in Florida. So I've I seen so many progress from that. You know, uh, Randy Savage, I remember meeting him in the Philadelphia arena, early seven, seven uh, I'm going to put a date, because it could be wrong, 76, 75, 76. He was this young, skinny kid. And uh, mm-hmm. again, the grand, the grand Wizard introduced me to him. He said, oh, this, is, is, this is Randy Poffo. He's Angelo's son. And I, I knew the name Angelo Poffo. Angelo's sure. son. He's, he's going to be good. He says, if He's, he's going to get into a full-time. Now he's a baseball player. I said, oh, yeah? Right. So I like baseball, so we started talking. And we became really friendly. And then the, the baseball thing didn't work out for him. And he, him and the father and the brother then started their own promotion in Lexington, Kentucky. And then in Atlanta, they had their own promotion. And I went and uh, and, and saw their matches in Atlanta when they were at, at, at war with the NWA Atlanta group. And I wrote story about their promotion and about Lanny Poffo, who was now wrestling. And he mm-hmm. was a young kid. And Lanny, uh, just last week, said, you know, and he's told me this many times. Every time he'll say, you don't want to wrote my first story. I was a, I was a nobody. You came to Atlanta to our, to, our, <laughs> to our territory when no one else would come over. You came over because they were like outlaw group. That's and, and you wrote about me, you know, and you wrote about me. I, you know, I can't ever forget that. I, well, that's why I, then I, I was really close with Macho Man. I mean, the reason being, he knew me from when he first started. You know. Sure. That makes sense. You, in your career, you've had the opportunity to meet and develop friendships with a lot of the biggest names in the business. I was wondering if I could do a little mm-hmm. bit of a name association game with you where I name a wrestler and you share a memory or a story that comes to mind. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> okay. How about Bruno San Martino? Oh, Bruno, my idol. <laughs> That's it. You started off with the, my idol as a kid, young kid, Italian. I'm Italian from Brooklyn. Italian, right. young guy. I was in, and I really was, I was in Madison Square Garden, May 17, 1963, and I don't don't normally remember dates and times and places. I was a kid. You remember things like this. I was Mm -hmm. there when he defeated Buddy Rogers, and I was with a friend. And uh, his his brother-in-law, my friend's brother-in-law, was the one who took us to the garden 
to see the show. It took us there. And my friend was a Buddy Rogers fan, and every month he was the champ. But yeah, but your man's no good. Your man. Oh, I gave it to him that night when Bruno won. <laughs> I finally got my revenge. Yeah, that was that. That's he was my guy. And then I remember when I first started, Bruno just about he was he was champ, and then then he lost the title. And I can't, again, I dates escaped me. About seventy one, mm-hmm. he lost the title, and I I said, ah, oh, I'm never going to see him again. And I went to Arnold. I said, oh, no, my Bruno, he was my my hero. And I'm, I'm really, I really feel bad. I'm not going to have a chance to really see him. He said, he's going to come back. He's going to come back a couple of years. You'll see him. And when he did, it was great. And then we became really close. And uh, we, early early on, we were close. And then then when the 80s came and all kinds of stuff happened, we, we kind of drifted apart, but he was always, yeah. you know, always special to me. That's wonderful. How about superstar Billy Graham? You had you you went from one to two. You had to be reading. Well, as I said, <laughs> I met superstar. I, I met superstar in, in Houston, Texas. I, I thought he was uh, okay. I thought he was great because at this time you didn't see people with physiques like this and right. uh, this charismatic. You didn't see wrestlers that were like. Uh, out of this world and charismatic and different at that time. So only very few. And I wrote the story and he was really nice. And then we exchanged phone numbers and I sent him the, the magazines when he came out and he, he thanked me profusely. And then he was coming up. He, he first called me when to say that he, he was coming up for a world bodybuilding competition. He was in a, a bodybuilding contest. And he says, would you come see me? So I did. I went to this world bodybuilding com- competition, which was judged by Bruno San Martino and Arnold mm. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, it, I, I went to this thing, and uh, it, it's all muscle men and poses. That's what it was. And uh, he didn't win he, because he had no legs. <laughs> His legs were, he was, he was skinny. He had a good body, but he had sure. no legs. Yeah. Yeah. But and and then a couple months later he called me back just to tell me how he was going to be uh he got a job with the WWWF. And he said, "Oh, it's because of you people read about me." I said, "Nah." Come mm-hmm. on. He says, "Yeah, yeah." But that's that was what he had in his head. And we we remained close. He uh he used to live he used to live out of a hotel because he was uh, so much on the road. He lived out of the hotel sure. early on. Sure. And he would use my address as his mailing address. And I would get oh, all really? kinds of stuff. In, <laughs> I would get all kinds of stuff in my mailbox. <laughs> That's and, wonderful. Uh, I, and I would drive him to um, New Haven, Connecticut, or Boston Gardens, uh, Sunnyside Gardens, wherever, wherever the wow. matches were. I, I, I became his chauffeur. And, the, and it was like a running gag. If he wasn't there early, they saw, they were afraid. They, sometimes he was, there was a time he would come late sometimes. So somebody, I know Vince once made a remark. Uh, somebody else told me this. He says, we're superstar. He says, uh, but he's coming with George. Oh, good. I know he's going to make it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I used to well, drive him around. I mean, we'd be, we were really, really, really close. He was the is. epitome of the 70s with the tie-dye mm-hmm. and the look. 
the, oh, absolutely. the muscle, the tan. He was seventies. And yep, and it, as you as you as you're probably gonna get into later and I'll say it now, Hulk Hogan was mm-hmm. the second coming of Superstar Graham with the twenty four inch pythons. The twenty four inch pythons and everything. If it had been later time, Superstar would have been Hulk Hogan. And and by that I sure. mean they, they could have did whatever they did with Hulk Hogan. They could have done it with Superstar if it had been ten, not not even ten five years later. Sure. You know. Sure, and I think Hogan. I think Hogan admits that he took a lot from Superstar Billy Graham, and so that makes oh, sense. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. so did Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura copied Superstar. Oh, the number of wrestlers that Superstar influenced. I mean. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he, he and, made a huge And in many impact. different ways, too, because they mm-hmm. saw what he looked like, and they learned how he got, how he <laughs> how he looked. Sure. And at yep. that time, and if you're going to ask, I'm going to say it anyway. At that time, steroids, anabolic steroids, that is, mm-hmm. were not illegal. Right. It was legal. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was, it was something that gym rats knew about. And if you were a gym rat, you would take steroid, anabolic steroid. Yeah. And 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 the, the guys would come to him. How you you know how you doing this? How, how you? And uh, he helped. He helped a few. A few, if you could think, uh, how their bodies tra- transformed. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Um, how about Ric Flair? Ric Flair, another. You know, you're, you're asking the easy ones. <laughs> when, when, was, when when I went to you know when I went to the Mid Atlantic, uh, Flair was was the guy. You know, he wasn't the champ at the time. Probably, could no, he wasn't definitely a U.S. champ maybe. And he he again he was so charismatic. He he was of of all the wrestlers I've seen. And if you're a wrestling fan today, you don't know Ric Flair. You know, you know, ooh, and you. You you hear about him, but you can't imagine that he he was he was the best wrestler of his time, mm-hmm. by far the best wrestler I've ever seen. Ric Flair, he can do it all. From uh, you know, I'm not talking about the high flying tactics and what, but as a wrestler and as a entertainer, as a showman, Ric Flair is head and shoulders above anybody else. Oh well, maybe we'll say head and shoulders, but he—he's number one, really number one. He was just so great, and I've been—I've been around the world with Ric Flair. You said talk about a story. I was yeah. there in Santa Do- Santa Domingo when he wrestled Jack Veneno. It's a big deal, and he writes about it in his book. We were looking out the window, and uh, I said, "Rick, look, look!" And he is, i mean, there was a guy running. With thousands of people behind him, seriously. That's right. Thousands yep. of people behind him. He says, "What's that? What's that?" I says, "That's the guy you're wrestling tonight." He says, "What?" <laughs> he says, "That's the guy." He says, "Oh no, he was scared, really, really scared when he wrestled Veneno, because around him he was in foreign territory, sure. surrounded, surrounded by armed guards." With rifles at ringside, it was crazy. And he, and Ric Flair was the champion at this point. Yes, he was. Yes, the champion against the the hometown hero. 
And uh, depending on how the story comes out or, how, or what you know about the story, he didn't leave the ring with the belt. He he he, he wanted to leave with his life. <laughs> and he told he told Veneno, you pin me, pin me. Veneno said, no, pin me, pin me. And he forced them, <laughs> forced them really? to do it. Yeah, I mean, because he, this way he felt that with all of the happiness and what was going on, he can get out of the ring and get back to the dressing room. You know, right? Yeah, and then, he was afraid of a, yeah. of a riot situation. Absolutely. For sure, yes. And then that night, <laughs> we went out <laughs> and we did a Ric Flair all night <laughs> in, in, in San Domingo. It was, it was. <laughs> It was crazy. <laughs> Not too many people can say they, they went out all night with Ric Flair, so that's pretty cool to be talking to one. Um, the <laughs> last names I want to bring up uh, for the sake of time is uh, a group, uh, two gentlemen that I know uh, had a friendship with you, and they attribute a lot of their success to your publications. That would be the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. Yeah, well... Uh... <laughs> of all the wrestlers, again, of, that I've befriended and befriended me, Hawk was by, was my best friend. He mm. was just just something about him. I mean, uh, he loved coming to Brooklyn. He, he used to stay at my house. He went to he went to my my son's baseball practice and baseball game, basketball game, football game, hockey. Really, he would show up. I mean, I'm telling you. He was there, and he would sign autographs for all the kids and everything, and he would be cheering them on, and he would come to their practice. And, you know, I'm not saying every time, but he did. Right. I mean, you know, he came, he went to a hockey game, and he went to a football game, and he went to a basketball game, and he came to baseball games. That's four different, <laughs> four, four different times for sure that he came. He was just uh, a great, great, great guy. We just really hit it off. I mean, I was good friends with Animal, but Hawk was just, uh, we just hit it off and like crazy. I mean, yeah, I, I, I used a lot of pictures of them, but they, they were colorful and they were uh, people that you wanted to take pictures of and they looked good. Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he used to tell everybody that, uh, I, I, George, uh, George made me, George made me, you know, like me, <laughs> made us is what I meant to say. Right. But yeah, he was great. That's fantastic. You mentioned a few times that these wrestlers would would come to your house for dinner and things. Yeah. What did your wife yeah. think of these larger oh. than life characters? Well, it, it, she she would say uh, it, was, it was like an open door policy. Uh, she she never knew who was going to stay over from from okay. the Haiti kid, the midget, the Haiti kid, to uh, you know anybody. Whenever there was local show. And back in the day, there was a lot of local shows at uh, at the churches and what have you, you know, churches, little auditoriums and things. And uh, a friend would run, would run the show named Tommy D. After the show, I would take them 10.30 to my house and my wife would cook. At 10.30 at night, <laughs> chicken parmesan, macaroni, all kinds of salad, all kinds of food. It, and sometimes I would take them at three o'clock because you can eat at you know three o'clock would be the latest you can eat for wrestling at seven eight nine you know sure but most sure. of the time they were running late they did come sometimes at three 
and sometimes at eight, not eight, but eleven. You know, after the show, ten thirty, eleven. Come at my house all hours of the night, and I used to have the, many people slept in my house just because, you know. Mm. And then, uh, then, then I would take them out to a local bar that a friend would own, friend owned, and they would stay out all night. That was another thing. I would be out all night because then they would go to the bar and, and sure. have a good time. Yeah, there were so many. Yeah. And, and aside, um, uh, Nat- Nat- Natalia, <laughs> of the Nightheart's daughter. Natalia. Yeah, absolutely. Nat- <laughs> Bill Lapter told me this story. He says, "Hey, uh, I, I was I ran into Natalia, and she said, well, oh." My my father loved you. My father loved you. He says, mm. and he loved your kids. He says, look, I even have a picture of them in my phone. She really? Picture. She shows the picture to Bill, and Bill says, uh, that, those are George's kids." Wow, that's pretty special. <laughs> because because that Nightheart came to my house to eat with Dominic sure. Dominic Danucci and. And Baron Cicluna, when he was doing the local shows after the WWE ended, he came to my house two, three times. And I would always try to take a picture, you know, and I had a, I took a picture of my, my two boys with Nightheart. And that's the picture she has on her phone. That's pretty special. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I thought that was like, you know, funny. You know, when you, since you're talking about eating and what have you, that's what I thought of, you know. <laughs> But then, okay, I'll add one more. I'll add one other yeah. because he's a really good, good friend. Met him, and uh, I, I'm, uh, I met him in Texas. He was friends with Jose Lothario, and I got introduced to him. I says, "Wow!" And then when so he came to New York, he called me. He would he would call me all the time, and I would take him to my house. And he would again. Masquerade had dinner at my house, and now I went down to my basement where I used to have a lot of pictures, which I don't anymore. And I took a picture of Neil Mascaris with my kids. Hmm. He says, I, but I need the mask, right? I says, yeah, of course. Without the mask, it could be like any Mexican eating, eating dinner <laughs> in my house. <laughs> That's funny. George, thank you so much for coming on. I tell you what, this is the fastest hour that has ever passed <laughs> for me on this radio uh, show. I could listen to your stories all night long. Um, thank you, you so even, much. You for didn't you. even scrape. You didn't even scrape the the the, uh, the the from the top. You didn't. You didn't no. even get into. Uh, we didn't even get into the eighties and nineties and what happened. We, we didn't. But uh, what you did share with us was was incredibly enjoyable. We need to have you back on so we can scrape the eighties and the nineties. Um, <laughs> I could listen to you talk for hours, George. Um, but it, it's late enough, and I don't want to take any more of your time. Thank you <laughs> well, so thank much. Thank you very much. I appreciate for it. joining us tonight. It was, fun. it was fun. Thank you for taking me down memory lane. Oh, I, listen. I, I really, I really don't talk about this to anybody. I mean, not for any reason. Just I have nobody to talk it to. You know. Well, thank you very much. I speak on behalf of wrestling fans everywhere when I say thank you for your immense contribution to the sport that we're passionate about, which is professional wrestling. Uh, we are eternally grateful to you, sir. Uh, wrestling fans can follow you on Twitter. Your handle is Starshot9. 
and they can also purchase any one of your dozen or so books at Amazon.com, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, and uh, I don't have anything that new. A couple of years ago, I had a book that came out. That was the last one, maybe three years ago. Well, I, I know for a fact they're still available because I was shopping earlier today, and so wrestling fans mm-hmm. can go out and get some of your books. Mr. Lepitano, thank you so much well, thank for joining you very us. Much. It was great talking to you, and you have a great knowledge. I just want to keep it up, too. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You have a wonderful night. Thank you. Well, there you go, Mr. George Napolato. What a man. The life that he has led is truly incredible. You know how wrestlers go on the road now, retired wrestlers, and they rent out venues, and they rent out um, arenas, and they tell their stories from the road. I think George could do the same thing. What an interesting man. And he contributed so much to the world of professional wrestling that he has so much to talk about and to share with the fans. I want to take the last few minutes of tonight's show and talk a little bit about the big event that is taking place on Saturday, April 27th at I Play America in Freehold, New Jersey. We are just 11 days away from 80s Wrestling Con. We are just 11 days away from over 20 superstars from the 80s wrestling world coming together under one roof. Just listen as I read a few of the names of the superstars that will be in attendance. Cousin Luke of the Bushwhackers. The brother of the macho man Randy Savage. The genius, leaping Lanny Papo. The powers of pain. That's both the warlord and the barbarian. Along with their former manager, the doctor of style, Slick. There's Greg, the hammer valentine. Cowboy, Bob Orton, the Nasty Boys. That should be enough, but the list goes on. The Birdman, Coco Beware, Jake, the Snake, Roberts, and Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat. And that is not everybody. There's more that I did not name. Now, I understand there's a wide variety of people that will be coming to 80s Wrestling Con. There's people that grew up loving 80s wrestling, and they're coming. There's current day fans who just love the business and want to meet some of the old timers, and they'll be there. There is even probably a group of people that's coming just out of curiosity, just to see what all the fuss is about. But for the next few moments, 
I want to speak directly to the people who are like myself, the people who grew up in the 80s, the people who fell in love with the world of professional wrestling during the 80s and the early 90s. If you're that person, if you're that person and you're still on the fence about whether you should come to 80s wrestling con or not, here's what I want you to do. Take the list of names that I just read and repeat them to your 10-year-old self. Imagine if 10-year-old you had a chance to rub shoulders with Jake the Snake Roberts. Imagine if 10-year-old you had the opportunity to shake the hand of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Imagine if the 10-year-old you had the opportunity to enter a figure four contest and have Greg the Hammer Valentine be the judge. Just imagine if a 10-year-old you had a chance to win lunch with brother love, Bruce Pritchard. Do you think 10-year-old you would be on the fence about that opportunity? So why should you be now? Here's the truth of the matter. 80s Wrestling Con is going to be a can't-miss event for fans of 80 Wrestling. There's going to be an exclusive wrestling Q&A section taking place at the con. Pro Wrestling Illustrated is going to reveal their three greatest covers from the 80s, and you will help decide which cover reigns supreme. We're going to be hearing from the original Glow Girls, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. We're going to be treated to a live performance of the hit song Pile Driver by the Birdman, Coco Beware. And oh yeah, there's this thing called the Ultimate 80s Wrestling Auction taking place. The merchandise that is up for grabs in this auction is too cool for words to describe. When you walk into iPlay America on Saturday, April 27th, you are going to think that you borrowed Marty McFly's DeLorean time machine and went back to the greatest decade on earth because of the stuff that you will see laid out before your eyes is straight out of your childhood. But there are only so many flights coming into New Jersey. There are only so many hotel rooms that have space left. There are only so many rental cars left in the garage. You need to act now. We are 11 days away from a can't miss event. Do yourself a favor. Do your 10 year old self a favor and don't miss it. Ticket information available now at 80sWrestlingCon.com.
That does it for me, Jumping Jay Morozik, and that does it for this episode of 80s Wrestling Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as it's the last episode before 80s Wrestling Con, and there's so much more to talk about. For myself, for Tommy, for 80s Wrestling Radio, have a great week, and let's go home. Oh, um.